Alrighty, folks. Skip here. Uh, this is, uh, if, I, if I sound a bit exasperated, this is like my third attempt at getting this podcast done. I want to thank you first and foremost for listening. Uh, slowly, incrementally, people are beginning to listen. Uh, so I'm going to keep at it. Um, I, if you're listening to this, God bless you. I hope you enjoy. Uh, they also serve as a place for me to sort of talk. So, uh, two things I want to do with this podcast in general. One is to talk about how we integrate music into our life to make it better. And the second is I just want to talk about music itself. So, a couple, a couple warnings before I start, if you will. Uh, I've got a bit of a sneezing thing going on. I don't think I'm catching a cold, but who knows. Uh, and my wife is working from home and she is conducting Zoom meetings. So if you hear a female voice in the background, no, it's not a Pink Floyd album. It's my wife working. <clears throat> I've got the cat here on the floor, the dog on the chair, and the teenager who goes to college and works at night. He's downstairs. Who knows what he's doing? But we're going to talk about something very specific today. I'm going to try to do this in about 15 minutes, if you'll bear with me. I want to talk about the band Nirvana, and I want to start talking about specific things in this podcast, like bands, instruments, etc. Uh, I want to start with Nirvana because they are my favorite band ever. And there's a reason for that. Now, you can argue uh, about their musicianship. You can argue all kinds of things. Uh, I'm going to bring this down to a personal level. I don't care if your favorite band is Lawrence Welk's orchestra. If it says something to you or helped you in your life, I am glad for it. Because ultimately, folks, that's what this is really about. This isn't about our musical taste. This isn't about what we think of as proper music. This is about what sings to our soul. And the music of Nirvana and Kurt Cobain sung and continues to sing to my soul. Uh, I discovered them in 91, like most people did. Uh, but I discovered them at a time when my first marriage was falling apart. A uh, very dark time in my life. And they, you know, I can't say the music pulled me out of that darkness, but that music kept me company until I figured my way out. And so I'm very grateful for Kurt Cobain and, and his music and the band Nirvana. And I want to talk a little bit about the band. Uh, Nirvana was formed in 1987 in the town of Aberdeen, Washington, which is actually, uh, I believe it's about an hour, hour and a half, maybe further outside of Seattle. Uh, so when they talk about the Seattle sound, you got to kind of cast a wide net. Um, the band's core of Chris Novoselic and Kurt Cobain, uh, they became friends in high school and uh, enjoyed punk music heavy music. Now, back then, uh, we tended to classify people. Uh, I know that where I grew up, there were the freaks and the jocks and the this and the that. It's very, it was very unfortunate. I've noticed in my kids' lives that's not as prevalent. Uh, but Chris and Kurt were sort of outcasts because of how they wore their hair, their musical taste, etc. You can hear the cat in the background playing with a grocery bag. Um, 
that's important to remember. It's important to remember that that Kurt and Chris and the people they hung around and the people that helped get Nirvana going were outsiders. Uh, Kurt and Chris were also friends with, became friends with, Buzz Osborne, who is the leader of the band, the Melvins. And if you've never heard the Melvins, I highly recommend uh, listening. Very heavy, not for everybody. Uh, It does not have the same melody that Kurt Cobain's music had, uh, but it was very influential on Kurt. And so Kurt began to write songs. He had a girlfriend, Tracy Miranda, uh, who really paid the bills while he wrote music. And, you know, out of that uh, partnership with Chris and the support of of Tracy uh, came uh, the band Nirvana. They acquired um, Chad Channing on drums, and they set off to conquer the world. Uh, They recorded an album in 1989 called Bleach, if you've never heard the album Bleach by Nirvana, I highly recommend it. So once that album came out, that album, Bleach, was a pretty substantial underground hit. Now, nothing like Nevermind. Uh, I'll talk about that here in a minute. But Bleach got their name out into the underground, to the alternative world. And it is my understanding that uh, they actually came through Iowa a few times. I, I wish... I wish, oh, how I wish I could have seen that. Uh, As they were touring, as they were forming as a band, Kurt is writing music for the album, which will eventually become Nevermind. Uh, Very dissatisfied with the drumming of of Chad Channing. Uh, They went through a couple other drummers, Del Crover, etc. They tried a four-piece band with Jason Everman on guitar, uh, what really shook out was a three-piece band, and they heard a guy named Dave Grohl play drums in a punk band called Scream, and when they heard that uh, Scream was sort of at a standstill, they jumped in and acquired Dave Grohl, uh, continued to tour, and almost a year to the day after Dave joined the band, uh, after recording and touring all that year, the album uh, Nevermind came out to massive success. Massive. I, I have a hard time explaining to kids who are used to digital streaming what it was like to see Nirvana blow up. And I would imagine if you're listening to this and you're old enough to remember the Beatles, you probably remember that. It was just, it was overwhelming. Um, I, when I was doing research to do this podcast, I saw that at one point, Nevermind was selling 400,000 copies a week. 400,000 copies a week. And I think at that time, what were albums? 799, 10.99. It's a lot of money. Uh, ultimately selling 30 million albums. Just a, just a monster hit for uh, Kurt Cobain, Chris, and Dave. Uh, unfortunately, uh, with that sort of instant success comes a lot of trouble. And uh, it didn't take long for them to get into real trouble. Uh, I want to give you a little example of how big they got and how fast it was. On October 31st, 1991, 
they played the Paramount Theater, a theater that holds around 2,000 people in Seattle. By August of 1992, 10 months later, they're playing to over, way over 100,000 people at the Reading Festival in England. Uh, you can actually buy those two concerts on DVD or rent them live at the Paramount, live at Reading, and you can see the difference in how they act, who they were just in those few months. Uh, unfortunately, that sort of instant fame really precipitated a decline in um, Kurt's soul, his well-being. He began to self-medicate, not just some physical issues, but I, I'm convinced some, some psychological issues, depression. It's easy to do. Been there, done that myself. Uh, he really uh, didn't know how to handle the instant fame, but, but who did? Who, who doesn't? And if you have you know, a bent towards depression or a proclivity towards addiction, it's just, it's the same old story, folks. He was 27 when he died. Uh, Hendrix, Joplin, Morrison, uh, Chris Bell, uh, you name Brian Jones. There is just something about that success at a young age for certain personalities that's devastating. Uh, so I, I, I want to back up just a little bit. Nevermind comes out. They become very famous. Kurt begins to his slow, precipitous decline into addiction. However, uh, they do go on some world touring and produce one more album, the album In Utero, that comes out in 1993. Uh, those are the three studio albums of Nirvana, Bleach, Nevermind, and In Utero. I would back up to 1992 and say that if you've never heard the album Incesticide by Nirvana, I highly recommend it. Uh, and of course, and then posthumously, we will get unplugged and some of the live stuff, which is amazing, too. So, In Utero comes out in 93, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, the band had warned people that it was not going to be like Nevermind. It was not going to have that poppy sensibility, that sort of Beatles hook coupled with punk rock ethos. Uh, it was pretty hard, uh, straight-up rock. I will also tell you that I have grown to love that album. Um, people will ask me often which is the best album. I have to say probably never mind, uh, simply because that poppy, hooky stuff appeals to me. But, man, there's some good stuff on In Utero and, and on Incesticide and on Bleach. Just amazing uh, music that that young man put out in his short life. Uh, you know, In Utero didn't quite hit as big as Nevermind. Rarely do we see sophomore albums that do, but it hit pretty big, um, which again, unfortunately, uh, compounded Kurt's reluctance, his fear. Uh, so many people wish for fame, and when they get it, it destroys them. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that uh, it did Kurt Cobain. I remember I was unloading. I worked in a furniture warehouse, and I pretty much worked there by myself many days. And uh, when the news came that Kurt had died by suicide, I, uh, I was unloading a truck, and I cried. I was, uh, let's see, what was I, 28 years old? And um, I'm a grown man in a warehouse crying. Uh, 
because I, the man's music, you know, reached into the darkness and helped me get somewhere else, at least walked with me through the darkness. But just the sheer sadness of it. You know, we as a society uh, have people who yearn for that success and man, it just, it destroyed him. It really did. He was not prepared mentally, physically, spiritually uh, for anything that was going to come his way. And, and like so many other people, he, he paid with his life for that. Uh, I will eternally be grateful to Kurt Cobain uh, for his music. Uh, I would love to see, and I know a lot of purists don't see it this way, but I would love to see the remaining members come out and do something just for those of us who didn't get to see them. Uh, posthumously, you know, they, they recorded the, the, the uh, Unplugged album and released it after Kurt had died. Uh, but that Unplugged album is just, a, if you ever question Kurt Cobain's musicality, his writing, uh, you got to watch that. It, it is pure art. And the band will say as they were mixing it after Kurt died, they could feel Kurt in the room. And I still feel Kurt in my life. Uh, there was a time I played guitar, as most of you probably know, where I knew every song from Nevermind. Uh, it's still something, uh, Nirvana music, it's very simple, um, very accessible, very meaningful. And those three things together are just a gift to musicians and a gift to the whole world. Uh, you know, it's been, this year will be 30 years since Nevermind was released, and I hope, I hope the estate does something to commemorate that. Uh, such, such a, a talent, gone too soon, you know, all the cliches. Uh, if you've not listened to Nirvana in depth, I, I I just really do invite you to to listen to Nevermind or to Unplugged or to any of the albums. <clears throat> of course, there's a lot of bullshit now about how he died, and you know you know how humans are; they love to hear crap. Uh, fact of the matter is, folks, he was a genius songwriter. He spoke to a moment in time that people my age uh, gravitated to. Uh, he became somewhat of a spokesman, and he just wasn't prepared for that, and it destroyed him. Uh, so I, I, I just want to close with that, and uh, I want to offer to you that uh, it's maybe 30 years later, but it's such good music. I feel the same way about Nirvana as I do the Beatles, as I do the band, as I do Pink Floyd that it still will transform your life. Anyway, um, you know, as this goes off into the ether, Kurt, if you're out there listening anywhere, thank you, my friend. Uh, if, if, if they get podcasts and rock and roll heaven, I, I thank you. Uh, and I thank you all for your time. Take care, my friends.